0: Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Phil. I'm glad to be back on the show.
0: Yep. We uh, we got a lot to discuss here tonight. I uh, had to hold off yesterday. Other uh, show came in there, Talking in Circles, Clayton Caldwell, who came on a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's his show. I'm a co-host there. And uh, we're going to be going over a lot of NASCAR stuff tonight going over the races at homestead the hall of fame uh Junebug made it in along with other uh, notable names we'll discuss that we'll discuss the news of the week which there's been plenty in terms of uh nascar and the some of the changes that are coming to the schedule some of the changes that are coming towards the all-star race of course where it's going to be and uh, we'll also be looking at fans and how they're going to be coming back into play uh, here in the next few weeks, different racing series. We'll uh, go over Talladega and what we expect there, which is basically a dice roll uh, on its best day in terms of what to look for at Talladega. But first, we will start with uh, the Formula One uh preview it'll be the first of three weeks of previews we'll start with the bottom four teams in the uh, last year's constructors championship and we'll move up until we end with mercedes red bull and ferrari in a couple weeks time just in time to preview the first race of the formula one world championship here in 2020 so in terms of formula one 2020 there's been a lot of rules changes and uh, a lot of things that have to be looked at even before we get into just what these teams are going to be doing or what the they they have going on Uh, there's going to be a cost cap uh, coming in to formula one here in uh, 2021 there will also be uh, a, a basically a percentage of based on how much where you are within the constructors championship will tell how long or how much time you'll have to develop your race cars i mean there's definitely it's a it's a change or changes that are flipping you know a lot of ways flipping the lid on uh what formula 1 has been and it's something to be uh, excited about as a formula 1 fan uh for me I've been a fan my whole time being in racing as a and so it's something completely different you look at so before we even get into the teams uh Josh I'll send it to you what are your thoughts on some of the changes that have anou- been announced uh here in recent weeks towards what Formula One's going to be doing here in the future? Well, I mean, the biggest thing for me is the cost cap. Um, you know, we've seen
1: Mercedes basically have a monopoly on the sport the last, like, five or six seasons in Formula One, and they're closely followed by Ferrari, and Ferrari always falls um, short somewhat. And I think, to be, to be honest, I think that's uh, kind of a good thing that, um, I mean, I don't know if you agree or disagree on that, but, to, that they that they have a uh, cost cap in place because I think it's time for some level of um, parity, or I guess equalization um, between the teams and I, I know it sounds ridiculous in racing because it's hard to regulate things and and whatnot but I think um, for the best of the sport for the future to encourage um, more teams and encourage uh, to possibly join the sport or encourage. Uh, some of the middle teams to catch back up. I think um, they had to do that.
0: Yeah, it's basically the budget cap for starting in 2021. Which of course, there's been different changes. There was going to be a new car that was supposed to be brought in in 2021, or new, basically a whole yeah a whole new car, same a- a engine or internal com- ice as they call it they were going to ha- have that stay the 1.6 liter turbo V6 but they were going to have new aero new downforce all kinds of things like that that's been moved to 22 they're basically freezing development in a sense between this year and next year 145 million for 2021 will be dropped another 5 million uh, to 140 and 22 and 135 million for the following three years and they'll be on five-year cycles with that there will also be a defined amount of development time via wind tunnel and computational r&d this is you could see it on racer.com uh th- that's to go and which will go and be a sliding scale of five percent for for 70 percent for the number one uh, team for the team that wins the constructors championship down to a, 115% of the available time to go and and develop cars, which would, in terms of what Josh you had said, allow some of the back teams to possibly get move forward quicker and be able to make a make a progress in a time where in the last six years, of course, or since 2014 when they brought in a whole new Uh, rules with the engine Mercedes was out front on that and has taken advantage of it with good money with good people and having arguably the best driver in the sport in Lewis Hamilton and they have won all these world championships he's won all but one world championship since 2014 he's he's flirting with the the wins record for Michael with Michael Schumacher he's also flirting with tying Michael Schumacher with seven world drivers championships so liberty media being an american company looking at what american racing is where there's more parity generally um uh, you could argue that in some ways but frankly there are more teams that can compete for wins theoretically in in NASCAR or or IndyCar racing, just as two examples, they'd be considered the most major sp- racing series here, or or drag racing, whatever, as there are or there's way more people that can compete for a win on a regular basis than there is in Formula One. And there's only ten teams. And fundamentally, you can make an argument that we'll go into here in a moment about some of the teams and their viability that If they hadn't put in a cost cap and if they hadn't started making moves to adjust the competitiveness, it would have been very hard or there would have been a strong possibility they'd be down to eight teams, maybe seven teams, maybe less than that. Uh, There's very few teams that are really in a positive uh, financial situation, even with the revenue sharing and things that exist. And they're only being 10 teams. So it's not like there's extra teams that don't make any money driving off the tailback and, and they're just out there just making up the numbers because in formula one, the, the grid is 26 cars within their, whatever concord agreement or whatever they call it. Now, 26 cars is the, the grid. And for many years, that wasn't a problem. Of course, uh, They had to go and put in different rules to to adjust to make sure that certain teams didn't show up, meaning bad teams. And ever since over that time, that's also costs and other things have gotten out of control, which we've gotten to 10 teams. So, I mean, the changes that they've announced, we'll we'll see what to expect in terms of 2020 in terms of the teams that are out there. We're going to probably spend a lot more time focusing on some of the teams in the next couple of weeks, that should stand out or possibly make uh, noise in the 2020 season. But looking forward to 21 and 22, uh, there's a lot of good positive change, I think, that's coming to Formula One. Uh, there's a lot of young drivers there with Max Verstappen, with Charles Claire, Lando Norris, Alex Albon, Carlos Sainz where you have a lot of George Russell, you have a lot of potential there to build a very competitive world championship. I would say that Max Verstappen's the lead dog, and it would be him and Leclerc. But with these changes and some of the moves Liberty is making, there's positive here for Formula One. And I know that for Liberty, they're looking to try to make a whole stronghold here in America. Um, they're, it's very Tenuous right now, considering Coda right now doesn't look like they're in very good shape uh, financially, and the possibility of losing the U.S. Grand Prix could probably put them under Uh, the best. It's the best Tilkey drone there is, uh, period. I mean, it really had nothing to do with Tilkey himself. He designed it, whatever, but it was uh, Tavo Hellman who ended up helping Mexico get back on the calendar, too. Tavo Helman was a big guy in designing the track and all that stuff. And that's why it's one of the most challenging and one of the coolest tracks in the country. Hopefully we don't lose it. And that's probably a story for another day. Uh, we will transition from there to start talking about the teams. The first team we'll uh, talk about is Williams, who in last year was dead last in the Constructors' Championship. They were not a factor in any race. They were usually at the bottom of the uh, the the times table, whether it's qualifying, whether it's races. They had George Russell come in as the Formula Two champion with help from Mercedes to be one of the drivers, and they were not uh, they were not very good to be to be kind. Uh, they've fallen well behind where they used to be as a elite organization as they were 20 plus years ago, 25 years ago Uh, when, when I was watching when I early days of me watching the sport Um, with, with Williams. Now they, uh, they have brought in uh, George Russell stays and uh, and they've replacing Robert Kubica, Will be uh now. I'm forgetting his name.
1: Uh, Nicholas Latifi. Nicholas
0: Latifi. Yeah, Nicholas Latifi. Thanks. So Robert Kubica gets replaced, and he's moved to I think to Ferrari or somewhere. I think Ferrari or one of them teams, Force India or Racing Point, to be a test driver. And Latifi brings money. And in recent, in lieu of recent events, uh, they've had. Uh, lost their main sponsor, which is Rocket Phones. Uh, if you were watching the race eSports battle, that was uh, the sponsor for it. They sponsor uh, the Formula E team, the HWA Formula E team, formerly Venturi, formerly whatever, uh, owned by Susie Wolf, who is Toto Wolf, who runs Mercedes Motorsports and Mercedes F1 wife. Uh, Susie Stoddard, she's the daughter of uh, Paul Stoddard, who used to own the Minority team, which is what currently is the uh, Alpha Tory, uh, which is ridiculous to say, but the old Tory also team, uh, formerly uh, Minority. I think that would be just in its own right, just to go and look at some of the teams and where they came from it would be an interesting uh a case study in itself um uh, fact is williams is in a tough spot financially they may not be williams for much longer latifi is dad is a they can, from canada just like the strolls uh, a lot of money there he's putting in a lot of money george russell comes from the mercedes uh, driver development program, so Toto Wolf, who used to be an in uh, a small uh, partner in Williams, I think is financing them and helping with engines but uh I guess josh what do we what should we look for in terms of Williams this year, considering all the turmoil that's going on? Claire Williams trying to keep her family in the sport her dad frank is you know has had his health issues uh in recent years on top of what he's had to deal with with his disability but i would say is it possible this year considering how weird things are right now that that williams can score a couple of points or are we kind of hoping or wishing for something that probably isn't going to happen
1: i think it's more of the latter um i you would hope that maybe they don't, you know, finish in the back of the standings again in last place. I mean, I could see them, you know, maybe they can um, random race here or two there. They can figure out a strategy and possibly, you know, score like one of the last spots for the points, you know, and you know maybe they grab, they can steal a couple of points here or there. But you know, for the most part, I don't really see a whole lot of improvement. I think I think it would just be an improvement just to not finish last in the Constructors' Championship overall and for their drivers to, you know, finish higher than where they finished last year. Um, so that's, I guess, that's really all I can say about them. There's not really too much positive that you can really um, say about them, t- to be honest.
0: Which is unfortunate considering what Williams was. For me 20, whatever, 28 years ago, Now, it just makes me feel old thinking about that's when I first started watching, and Williams was the team. They they were the team to be with. They had just come off of a dominant world championship with Nigel Mansell winning, I don't know how, he won eight, I don't know how many freaking races he won in 92, but he won a lot of races and finished the championship at Hungary in August, and there were still, I think, five races to go. So which Schumacher was the only person that that kind of sniffed that kind of uh, domination many years later within his Ferrari reign. So it's it's sad. And it's and you have to look at George Russell when you consider two of his BFFs are Alex Albon and Lando Norris. And they're both in much better equipment and have a better chance to compete. And you also look at Charles Leclerc, somebody he knows very well and is relatively close with. And he's at Ferrari and he's a lead dog now. Um, will Will George Russell lose confidence? Will George Russell be given the opportunity to drive for a better team? Uh, Mercedes' situation right now is what it is. They have their two cars. And as of now, Lewis Hamilton is in one of them. And the other one is uh, Valtteri Bottas. And they have, considering the acrimony that existed prior with uh, with ne- with Nico Rosberg being the douchebag that he was, uh, they like the current situation. Would it change if they had George Russell in, in the fold? Uh, I don't think so. I think George Russell would be a lot very similar to... Uh, to a Valdery Botas in terms of productivity, and um, he wouldn't want to mess with the apple cart, and it would be interesting to see an all-English pairing, and the German team would be interesting to see, but uh, we will find out. Uh, I don't know if that'll be the case. I don't think, as it stands, that's what's going to happen going into 21. It may, but um, if Williams takes a step forward somehow, then uh, that could be that could be the case, and they've made progress based on winter testing. They're a lot better off than they were this time or at winter testing last year. And with Latifi and his dad, they've put in a lot of money into this team. So you assume Latifi will be there for the foreseeable future. At least he'll get more than this year. To prove himself i would there's nikita Mazepin, who's another uh junior driver that could with a rich father end up there sean gallail is another person who has uh, a lot of his dad has a lot of money so it could end up that whatever happens if williams stays as williams with the name on it it's kind of like richard it's getting to the point where it's like richard petty motorsports with nascar where Richard Petty's name is on it because, uh, just to show the face and the number 43, but for all intents and purposes, he's not a a big player uh, within the race team, though he did sign off on the driver, and I'm sure that some of the moves that they've made uh, have been, he's been asked about him. It's the same way here with Williams. I think what's going to end up happening is George Russell will make a step forward, will make some progress. Uh, Latifi will kind of hold station, and he'll be there in 21, where Russell will go, is to be determined. Of course, he won the F1 Esports Challenge and looked like an alien doing it, too, uh, beating the likes of LeClaire, Lando Norris, and the like, and Alex Albon. So he was... That was probably the most positive news Williams has had in about five, six years, and uh, that's good for them, and it's good for his confidence. We'll see how that translates into actual results in the actual race car. Uh, For us, as an American-based show, of course, and uh, I think the Haas team, and being in a show that we talk about NASCAR uh, a lot, the Haas team is another one that is... uh, it's close to home, and one that we have to look at more. They're a smaller team. They have help from Ferrari. They have help from Delara in terms of the, uh, the the chassis. They have the engines and other key components from Ferrari. They but they last year finished ninth in the constructors and were not really all that good. Uh, Kevin Magnussen scored 20 points which saw him 16th in the Drivers' Championship, and Roman Grosjean finished 18th in the Drivers' Championship with eight points. He only had three three uh, point scoring races, and he didn't score a point again. He Germany, which was the one place where Williams scored a point last year, um, if they hadn't effed up the strategy for George Russell, he probably would have finished way higher than 11th. Robert Kubica got the one point Uh, Grosjean got a seventh place finish which was his best finish of that year last year and then after that didn't he finished 11th once and otherwise didn't finish better than 13th the rest of the year so when it comes to Haas my question to you Josh is who I it's, it's less about the productivity. Can they go and make a step forward? I, I don't, I'm not so sure about that. I think this cost cap is going to keep them in the sport, but do you believe, or do you think that uh, with the guys like uh, with the, with the Fittipaldi, Pietro Fittipaldi and Louis Delatraz and the like, is this uh, is this a make or break year for the drivers that are in the current drivers Kevin Magnuson and Roman Grosjean? And if you had a choice, who do you think would be the more likely that they would move on from and get somebody else going in a twenty one? Well, I
1: think um, for Grosjean and Magnuson, I think you know both of them. You know, Magnuson. I mean, surprisingly, like they haven't had many lineup changes. First of all, um, because Grosjean's been there since the beginning, and then yep. uh, Magnuson came in the second season for Haas, and they've been there since, which is actually kind of surprising. Like, um, because, and I'll get to my point. Is that I think the the one person that would be likely to leave is Grosjean. I think he's had his chances. Um, you know, the first two years, and maybe even 2018, uh, Grosjean seemed to be. Uh, the the lead driver for Haas and that's kind of not been the case lately. You know he's been I don't I don't want to say reckless but he's definitely made a lot of mistakes. Um, at least in the last season alone, where we saw him just making just a lot of uh, driver errors that um, you shouldn't expect from somebody like him. So I think Grosjean's probably more likely to be on the hot seat, and I think Magnussen's starting to be like um, more more consistent, and you know, I think it was reflective in how they finished the drivers' championship last year, because Magnussen finished like three or four places higher than, than uh, Grosjean, and you know Grosjean just wasn't just wasn't that great last year. So I think um, if going forward after after this year, uh, I would expect uh, Magnussen to be likely. Uh, the one that would remain if they decide to pick one of them. And, you know, you, you have a point about Haas in general, um, and I think the uh, the rule changes with the cost cap coming in, I think that's a good thing for Haas, because how many articles have we seen on just on Racer alone that have said uh, Gene Haas was, you know, thinking about um, considering pulling out, you know, and, and just how viable Haas is. And uh, for him, you know, like, he's basically uh, self-funding the team. And then last year they had, I think, uh, rich energy sign on for supposed to be for the whole season and then it turned out there's like some sponsorship fraud or something um that came out with uh rich energy and then they ended up dropping them and i guess they're just back to haas now so you have to wonder um had there not been a, a cost cap implemented how long gene haas would stay so hopefully now that that's uh, going to be part of sport maybe um it'll give him more stability and just make them a more viable team overall going forward
0: yeah, that's, you brought up a lot of great stuff there, Josh. I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to the viability of Haas, you look at it as, as a entity across the board. You look at Stuart Haas racing and the fact that he's basically funding a cup car, which of course costs way, when you look at Formula One, it's, it's, it's like a, a drop in the bucket, but you're talking about akin to about 20 million dollars to fund a generally top flight 20 to 30 million dollars to 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 fund a cup car and he's pulling money out of his pocket for basically two of the cars his name ends up on all of the cars usually i think the four car is the only one that it doesn't end up on uh, across the four teams they have uh They try to avoid that within the Xfinity effort now with Chase Briscoe. Uh, But when, of course, when Cole Custer was there, his name was prominently there. Uh, He is funding the the deal out of his own pocket. You, You consider some of the people that he has with this Gunther Steiner, who's considered a very entertaining guy. Uh, based on uh, you know the the deals on uh, Netflix and other other entities, but when you look at the team and their productivity as a whole, you know, they haven't really done a whole lot. And granted, trying to start a Formula One team from scratch in this day and age, and at any time against established uh, entities like Ferrari uh, is asking a lot uh, based on how things are and rules. You look at Mercedes and where they came from, their origins the this, the, like it was a story talking about what I was going on earlier on the tangent I went on earlier. The, Mer- the Mercedes team that we know of now started out as was what was Tyrrell. Um, many years ago but Tyrrell went to BAR went to Honda and et cetera, et cetera. went to went to Braun and then became Mercedes and so you go and look at Haas coming in with a fresh clean sheet of paper trying to run an American side and then run a team a piece in Europe with the drivers they have Grosjean had his purpose and his time honestly to me i don't know how he kept a ride i don't know why he keeps a ride he's he's been erratic his whole formula one career yes he scored points he scored podiums he is a fast driver or he was a fast driver uh, but a lot of his time that he spent at haas has been in the negative in terms of complaining and not being able to get the most out of a race car. And to me at some point you have to say to yourself when you keep the same person there is it really about the is it really about the car the person what you you have to go and make a change. And if they had made a change and they put Pietro Fittipaldi in the car for 2020 I wouldn't have been shocked. Fundamentally they need to put Pietro Fittipaldi in the car in one of those cars because he's a talent uh he was doing well in IndyCar driving for Dale Coyne uh, I believe a couple of years ago and he was running well on the road courses and he had funding a little bit of funding and he was doing well there he was running World Endurance Championship and he got hurt really bad at at Spa on a WEC race and that basically kind of set him off uh, off the path which probably knocked him off the Formula 1 trajectory for a year and now it's probably gone 3 years. Uh he's the kind of guy that Haas needs. You need to have a guy that's going to be aggressive. You need to have a guy that's willing to push the limits but can stay within himself and keep the car in one piece. That's something Romain Grosjean's never been able to do. Um Kevin Magnuson, people say he's aggressive. People say he's tough to pass. Kevin Magnuson comes from, you know, a father who was rushed up, was considered the next big thing in Formula One and basically kicked to the curb after two years. Uh, in and of course Jan Magnussen legendary sports car driver first with Panos and now with the Corvette team and he only just recently got let go from the Corvette program Uh, he he was a great sports car driver but fundamentally his trajectory was to be a world champion in Formula One and he wasn't given that opportunity so you have that kind of chip on his shoulder with Kevin Magnussen he's always kind of been that guy his first race in his career he finished third or second whatever at australia and then they had like some sort of disqualification with the mclaren team so he's always had a chip on his shoulder he kind of has like some of the drivers in nascar there's a couple guys i can there's like i'm trying to think like that are guys that always like kind of have a chip and kevin magnuson has that but kevin magnuson brings results and Kevin Magnuson's willing to push that limit. Whether he keeps his job or or Grosjean or what they do, I think fundamentally Haas will be here. They will make progress in 2020. Do I believe that they'll fall below Williams? No. Do I think they're going to go ahead of the teams that we're going to discuss? No, I don't. I think that this next year and a half, is a preparation towards making sure by 22 and the new car that they can finally compete. And there's nothing wrong with that because you can R&D your drivers. You can figure out who you want in there. They could possibly bring two new drivers into the fold and say, hey, let's go and let's get ready for 22. I think that's what they're trying to do. Um, The next team that uh, we have to discuss is the Alfa Romeo. A program. Uh, the artist formerly known as uh, Sauber, they have Antonio Giovinazzi, who was a Ferrari junior driver, uh, passed over for Carlos Sainz to take uh, a Ferrari seat. And then uh, Kimi Raikkonen, the ageless uh, wonder that is Kimi Raikkonen, who God knows how many years ago, is was 2000, 2001, whatever it was. And he was like 19, 20 years old. And or whatever he was, and he and they brought him in and he's like he's never driven a formula formula or driven ten formula car races and they put him in a Formula One car and he's now a world champion. Um, his career has definitely been interesting. Uh with alfa Romeo, I think the question that I would say to you, Josh, um I mean, what are we looking for from them? They're basically similar to Haas in that the Ferrari connection, they're like a Ferrari junior squad. Uh, When it comes to Kimi Raikkonen, are we going to see Kimi Raikkonen in 2021, number one? And then number two, is Antonio Giovinazzi on the hot seat because he wasn't chosen to go and move up to Ferrari? And could he possibly lose his opportunity lose his seat to mick schumacher the son of michael schumacher
1: well i think you know Kimi Raccoon, i don't know if he'll be um I, mean, I don't know what his plans are past this year but you know, he's 40 years old and you know in Formula one you don't really see a, a ton of drivers that old uh race um that much longer so we'll see but you know if there's anybody that's gonna you know keep on racing it would be him and it's it's funny just because uh you know has supposed lifestyle how he's apparently like a some party boy or whatever, but you know that's besides the point um you know so but expect him to still continue to race well I mean I know last year he finished like twelfth in the driver's uh, standings um so I think maybe you could see him finish a couple spots higher and score more points in in um some of the races but um overall I think you know he'll still kind of be the same guy he was just on a lesser team and uh, uh, for given that how you pronounce his name? Uh, I I don't know. We'll, it's tough to say. Uh, I think yeah, I have to agree. He's probably on the hot seat and has to. He's got to perform this year. You know, he's got to um, score score as much points as he can. And you know, we'll see how it goes from there. I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure um what they'll do with him.
0: Yeah, the, for Giovinazzi getting passed over for the Ferrari ride, you could make the argument that they they, they spoke about it. Uh, the, the Ferrari brass talked about it, maybe that he wasn't ready. Uh, his performance in 2019 wasn't anything spectacular. You could go and venture to say that what he was doing in lower formulas wasn't amazing either um maybe time a you know, second year will uh help him uh take that next step in terms of getting the 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 help from a uh, kimi raikkonen it, it kimi raikkonen's been around he's been through so much he's he went from sauber to to mclaren to being a guy at mclaren that could compete for a world championship to ferrari and getting stealing a world championship from McLaren, uh, from there dropped and for Fernando Alonso and went to drive NASCAR for a minute with Kyle Busch and Toyota and things like that, and went to wrecking rally cars for a while and came back for Formula One, drove for Lotus, which is now the Renault team, and then went to Ferrari and now to, to Alfa. And back to where he started, basically, and he he's probably gonna call quits when he wants to because that's just kind of how uh, how Kimi Raikkonen has always done things uh, but I think his time probably has passed also, and when you look at what what that that team is, they're probably gonna go and and look towards two young guys like uh, what I'm kind of talking about for Haas, they they might go and move Mick Schumacher in. I I personally don't think that Mick Schumacher would yet get in based on Kimi. I think it would be because of Giovinazzi. But, you know, Italian, the whole deal, they, they, they may want to keep him around for a while. That may be in play. Uh, we'll, we'll find out, I think, I I don't know about you, Josh, but I think as it stands based on the hierarchy of these teams, I look at these three teams and where they are based on last year's constructors championship. I would say that they're probably going to stay where they are. I don't think any of them showed in testing that they could possibly make that move forward. But uh, do you believe any of them could make like a precipitous jump forward or...
1: No, not really. Um, at best, I would look for more in- incremental improvements. You know, if um, you know less retirements. First of all, you know it's good to you know have good consistent at least at least be able to finish the race. And yeah. then the next part is you know at least try to score some points. You know, figure out a way. Uh, you know, obviously those teams don't have the speed to you know just drive. On pure pace to score points, so obviously they'll have to figure out um, different strategies of how they can, you know, try to score points. Um, you know, whether it's you know going, you know, with the tires and you know changing or like you know going on the different grip levels that the tires have, you know, um, yeah. versus other options and seeing what that how, how that plays out. Um, so I, I would expect, like I said, just to you know if they if they can just you know finish and uh scored more points so that's that's what i think
0: yeah that's that i think that's the way for those three teams i think that's where they're gonna be uh for sure and uh good points uh for sure on that i what i do believe though the last team that we will discuss before we move into uh we'll go and pivot into a lot of nascar talk is the racing point team the team originally the jordan formula one uh team and then it was through different guises for me as a brown guy force india i have a hard time not calling him force india at times uh the racing point team Lawrence stroll who's a rich mfer from canada and his son lance who drives for the team Uh, they have uh, bwt they have the pink cars uh, they they are going to be Aston Martin F1 starting in 2021, so there will be a rebadging. I'm sure that the color schemes and all kinds of stuff is going to be discussed, uh, but they're a team based on winter testing and some of the changes they made, which is almost looking they, they basically had a clone of the Mercedes car from last year, which brought about some controversy amongst the midfield, uh, which, uh, of course, Racing Point's a part of. You'd consider uh, the Alfa Romeo team and then the teams that we're going to discuss next week, which would be the Alfa Tori, uh, McLaren and uh, Renault teams, along with, I guess we could talk about Haas. They were all kind of up in arms about the uh, way that the Racing Point showed up. In winter testing you look at Sergio Perez who's probably the most underrated guy on the grid uh, a guy who had one year at McLaren and was because of Ron Dennis being Ron Dennis uh, ran him out the door and it probably was a very bad decision one of many bad decisions he made in his last few years as a team principal but he was aggressive and he's always been able to punch above his weight he brought sauber points podiums uh he brought he has brought this team in whatever different guises it's been under podiums he's a kind of guy he's an elite character he's an elite driver he saved this team uh, a couple of years ago around this time he was the guy one of the main guys that kept this team uh afloat while uh, vj malia is trying to fade different Uh, law enforcement because of all the sketchy stuff he's done and the other other guy uh, other brown guy that was around owning the team that was doing sketchy stuff himself so i i would say uh, like the question i would say is like for force india josh do do we or force any freaking racing point do we see because of this car because of this kind of like mercedes clone and their pace Can we give credence to what they did in in testing? Do they have a chance to flirt with an occasional podium? Can they move up to the point where they are the best of the rest like they were a couple years ago and they've been at times? Is it possible that they can sneak past all these other teams and go and, and maybe be best of the rest, fourth in the Constructors' championship?
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. You know, they they call it the uh, pink Mercedes, um, you know, with having a lot of similarities to last year's Mercedes car. And, and, you know, so I, I think for them, yeah, they would definitely be a challenger for a podium finish here or there. And I definitely agree with you that they should be considered the best of the rest. I mean, I don't know how how high they'll finish if they'll actually like you know place third or whatever in the constructors championship but if they can um improve from where they were last year when they finished you know in seventh place if they can get up to possibly like uh fourth or fifth place i think that would be a big improvement for for that team and i you know we'll we'll see how it turns out but i expect them to because they've um gotten a car so similar to Mercedes and you know you have to think that all the money that Lance Stroll has put into this team is finally paying off. I think they should be the um, team probably considered to be most improved in Formula One for 2020.
0: Yeah, Lawrence Stroll is definitely putting in a lot of money and the fact that he is the head of Aston Martin and they're going to be Aston Martin F1 uh, starting in 2021. I'm interested to see what their livery will be and how they'll present. They have a driver in Sergio Perez who who uh, can definitely bring them forward. Lance, for what he is, being daddy's money, he has won championships, whether you want to go and say that it's because of money or not. That's a separate discussion. Uh, He has scored a podium for Williams at Azerbaijan. I mean, he's not the worst guy. And by far, he's not the best guy. Uh, He's just like any number of other sons of rich MFers. And as it stands with the money and the influx that it should uh, be added here in the next two or three years, the next two and a half years, counting this year, I think, the racing point team is probably the one team that could take a major step forward. Uh whatever it'll be Aston Martin, whatever we will be called. They're they're the team that could take that leap, uh forward leap, because they have the Mercedes engine. And I doubt that I mean even now that when they go into twenty two, the engine package isn't gonna change. So that means Mercedes is still going to be able to work with what they have, which is a the best engine, most consistent, reliable engine, and try to refine it. Of course, there's been some moves. Uh, the lead guy that uh, was responsible for the Mercedes engine program left uh, the team, or he's going to be around for like another year and a half, but he's going to be on gardening leave, doing other things. But... The Mercedes engine is the most uh, productive engine, of course, since 2014. The results speak for themselves. So when you consider Aston Martin a team, the Stroll team is going to be utilizing that engine. They are going to be in a position to make a huge step forward, uh, given the stability here This for this next year and a half, going into a new formula in 22 for the cars. And they'll be able to put a lot more money into that as well, uh, which would be both the beneficiaries will be Perez and Lance Stroll in trying to make something happen. So uh, with that, we will talk next week more in detail about uh, f- further teams. We'll talk about AlphaTauri. We'll talk about McLaren and Renault uh, next week on the Grip Strip podcast. Uh, we're going to transition now into the NASCAR portion of the program, and we will start with the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Hall of Fame announcement happened today; uh, three new members uh, being added, and one like uh, you know, like pie a person that helped on the back end as well. Dale Earnhardt Jr. of course makes the Hall of Fame. Uh, We also had Mike Stefanik, legendary, modified, and uh, Bush North champion for me as a New Jersey guy and as a fan of Mike Stefanik. I'm very happy about that. And Red Farmer also makes the Hall of Fame. Uh, They've changed the rules in terms of how they're declaring who's going in based on where. Red Farmers, part of the, one of the original members of the Alabama Gang, considering that Bobby is in, Bobby Allison's in there, Davey Allison's in there, it makes sense that uh, that uh, Red Farmers also in there, and um, also Ralph Seagraves, who's connected to Winston, uh, also makes the Hall of Fame. So, Josh, I uh, throw it to you. What are your thoughts? on the guys that made the hall of fame was it were were there any surprises to you were there any omissions that you thought probably should have been in on this ballot
1: well you know first of all you know i i grew up a dale jr fan my whole life you know basically and so it's it's pretty cool to see um i was to be honest like i wasn't sure like you know his, his credentials purely as a driver aren't you know the best, obviously. You know he only won 26 times in the Cup Series and didn't have any championships. Obviously, he has two Xfinity Series championships to fall back on, on you know, on the driving part. Um, but you have, really have to look at his contributions uh, to the, the sport outside of um, driving. You know he's he's brought a lot of talent through the series um, up into Cup and with JR Motorsports. And the most, you know, the best example of that is Brad Keselowski. You know, he helped bring Brad Keselowski out of the Truck Series and um, into the Nationwide Xfinity Series, and then Brad Keselowski went up to the Cup with Penske. And you know, that's still the best example of what you know, the, the opportunity that um, Junior Motorsports provides, and you know, the awareness with concussions and and um, a lot of the kind of social change that Junior's pushed for in you know recent years. So you, you kinda have to look at that um as a whole and not you know, not just what he um did as a driver. But I, I was a little bit surprised though to see him uh get picked uh for this year. Um just because I feel like the um while I, I enjoy the contributions he made outside of um you know outside of racing um to help the sport, I would have um thought that maybe someone else who was uh, on the modern era who is um had, who did more w- with their driving career um, alone would have um, gone over him, but I still think it's a good thing. Um, you know, and Mike Stefanik, um, you know, he's been a great modified driver throughout the years, and unfortunately, you know, he's passed away now, so he um, doesn't get to. You know, he's been posthumously um, awarded the Hall of Fame, but uh, still, uh, you know, it's a great honor for him. You know, and you know a lot of the younger fans, you know, who maybe n- don't know his uh, career as a modified driver, you know, they'll remember uh, the Battle of the Beach at Daytona back in 2013 when he got wrecked on the last lap by Steve Park and yeah. said that's bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was yeah. that's still one of my favorite moments in NASCAR. <laughs>
0: it's one of the <laughs> greatest memes at. ever. His face <laughs> yeah. is one of the greatest memes yeah. ever.
1: Yeah just you know, his how mad he was and his veins bulging out from his forehead but <laughs> that's unfortunately i, I you know it, it's going to be something that he's most well known for i guess as you know to the mainstream NASCAR audience not just the um the modified crowd but still it's a, a great honor for him and um you know with Ralph Seagraves, you know, he was a huge um, contributor with R.J. Reynolds, and, yeah. and you know, he was, you know, suggested that R.J. Reynolds, um, you know, Junior Johnson came up to him saying that um, Winston should sponsor the team, and then uh, Seagraves saying that, you know, the company should just sponsor the entire NASCAR organization, or the Cup Series, and, you know, that's obviously kind of the catalyst to the modern era, you know, and obviously that's what helped uh, grow the series uh, to what it is today so you, you can't omit that and then um you know red farmer uh you know, is, you know the old alabama gang you know he's i i think he still races i'm pretty oh, sure oh yeah he is yeah, he's still, still
0: racing, racing. He talked about it earlier today <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah you know so it's it's crazy and you know he's really old too so um you know i i don't know how exactly how old he is but he's still racing so it's a good thing to see for him you know with with this award um i think who is i saw on the timeline today on my twitter um people um there were some people who were saying that i think larry phillips was somebody who got omitted and yeah uh, you know i i mean i personally i don't know much about his career but you know like i guess perhaps maybe maybe in the future um he'll maybe next year they'll put him in but we'll see um one thing i will say is like you know you talked about the the change in the rules, I guess, for who gets, who gets into the hall of fame and who doesn't, you know, I think in the past they've done like five or six guys every year. Yeah. And now they're at least just from drivers alone from, you know, the past and the modern era. Now they've only picked a total of three guys, which, you know, I don't know why they did that, but, um, seems odd. I mean, I would have expected a a couple more people, you know, and you compare it to other sports too. uh, usually about five, um personalities whether they're uh the actual drivers or players and then you know you have maybe one or two um owners or you know the suits whatever you want to call it who uh, make it into the hall of fame so I, I thought that was a little curious um i don't know what what do you think about that
0: yeah i mean everybody and their mother knew that when joomba was put on the ballot that he was going to get in because it it fits patterns here you consider who seems to the people that that are part of the electorate they fit certain patterns they want to go and put somebody who's uh alive and kicking and a part of tv or whatever it is i think that's part of the reason why jeff burton was on there That's a separate discussion. We could get into some of the people they put on there, separate discussion. But Dale Jr. was on there in part because he's still a a part of the sport on, on the TV side. And when you consider guys like Buddy Baker, who you'd look at the number of wins, didn't have a championship, but everyone talks about his character being the kind of guy that he was. And the kind of personality and the passion he had. And being a second generation driver with his legendary father, Buck, being a champion and great racer himself. Dale Jr. being a third generation driver and his dad and his grandfather being well-known names. Uh, There are so many aspects of this. Uh, For NASCAR and for their Hall of Fame in Charlotte, they want people to show up. By putting Dale Earnhardt Jr. into the Hall of Fame this year, they are going to hopefully, based on hope with COVID and all these other things, they're thinking that once they're able to open the Hall of Fame again and, and Dale Jr. exhibit is there, they'll be able to get a ton of Dale Jr. fans to show up. And they'll be able to get all these other things going on. And Dale Jr., for whatever it is, He's one of the only people that still cares about the past and cares about the classic aspects of the sport. uh Dale junior's contribution to me uh, to this sport has been exponential and has been better ever since he got out of the race car. His driving in a in a cup car, you could basically say his his real productivity was about four good years. 03 and 04 and then f- like 14 and 15 or like 14 and then you could probably combine about three other years and make that into one year so the fact is his career his real productivity in a cup car was about three or four good years and he won two daytona 500 which is two more or one more than his dad did One of the only things he can ever say he did better than his dad was he won one more Daytona 500 than him, and he was great on restrictor plate racetracks. He was great. He won all these most popular driver awards and all that. Dale Jr., I think his greatest contribution to the sport is being a voice for those who are longtime fans, for people who care about the old school, for the people that want that yearn for what we had before um, i was never a dale jr fan as a driver i always felt like they spent way too much time talking about him and he they they came up with reasons to talk about him i think in the current stage racing format they'd sponsor a the stage and as a reason to go and talk about junior like they do that but juniors contributions to this sport far outweigh his driving uh, prowess and what he did as a driver and two-time Xfinity champion albeit he wrecked Kemseth for one of them uh, in what he's done in a cup car Uh, he's a bigger his voice and his place in this sport is bigger than uh, than just being a driver And now he owns a team with Kelly, his sister, and with with Fat Felon. And that's a positive thing. He's able to develop talent and kind of be a nurturing force towards building the sport. Uh, As, as, you know, his dad, for whatever Dale Earnhardt Sr. was, he tried, he provided what he could. In a sense, he gave pieces to his kids to try to compete. And he angled Kelly to go and finish school. And whether she was the best or not, I kind of feel like she probably was the best of the three. She became this like this real hungry charger. And if it weren't for her and if it weren't for Amy and if it weren't for Dale's mom, I don't know if we'd have Dale Jr., the Dale Jr. we have right now. So long story short, after all that, We knew that Dale Jr. was going to make the Hall of Fame. The the other two guys that made it in Red Farmer, who's a frickin' legend, Tony Stewart wrote a couple of tweets uh, about his appreciation for Red Farmer because he has a connection to the Alabama gang with Donnie Allison, Bobby Allison, uh, Lauren Rainier, that whole thing. He's close with Red Farmer. The guy's over 80 years old. He's still driving... Uh, late model at the Talladega short track Talladega dirt track he's he won uh he won the grand not grand national but he won the sportsman he won sportsman championships he was he was a absolute he's an absolute icon and he's still going and I think for the fact that they have people like which goes to the next person, he's still here. He's still kicking. It's good to have somebody like him come in and go in to the Hall of Fame. Um, Larry Phillips, as you brought up, Josh, is somebody that's in the same kind of realm as Mike Stefanic, in that his contribution to the sport was through the winston racing series and winning tons of races winning tons of championships and being an absolute legend on the on the uh, in the uh, small time what they would call small time winston was able to support the sport which is what makes ralph seagraves being a winston guy uh, his being brought into the hall of fame like T Wayne Robertson and other people that have been brought in uh such a big deal. Uh Larry Phillips will have his day. Uh Herschel McGriff will have his day. They're two of the great people uh that have driven in the um I I, I don't know what they call the the series outside of the national series like the the local the local tracks like the NASCAR local tracks uh they they those are two of the pioneers Herschel McGriff uh, is a West Coast pioneer Larry Phillips is a pioneer in modifieds and late models going back decades I got a got one of the the press guides the 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 preview guides from 1993 from the great um, Liz Allison uh, through her website uh based on stuff that she had from Davey and Larry Phillips was prominently in there, and there are other people that are on this list that were in there. You talk about like the Harry Hides and Banjo Matthews and Harry Gant and Ricky Rudd and Kirk Shelmerdine. People talk about Kirk Shelmerdine. Those, I think, at the end of the day, before I get onto Mike Stefanik. The there's there's a couple of there's a couple, two, three guys. You talk about Holman and Moody uh, that, you know, Ralph Moody's on this list uh, that he should have been in. They should have put Holman and Moody in. Herschel McGriff and Larry Phillips probably should have been in a long time ago. Suitcase Jake. You talk about Banjo Matthews, Harry Hyde, Kirk Shalmerdine. They've no sold crew chiefs in this Hall of Fame uh, in a bad way. Uh, Jake elder, the stories alone are worth Jake elder being in because of who he's worked with and what he's done. You look at Banjo Matthews, great cars he's built for so many great people. Harry Hyde being reenacted by Robert Duvall, fricking effing Bobby Duvall played Harry Hyde in a movie. That's how good Harry Hyde was. Uh, and Kirk Shelmerdine is probably the one omission that to me is kind of glaring uh, because people no sell what he did. People no sell uh, his his part in what uh, Dale Earnhardt did to Dale Earnhardt was able to do to get uh, his championships. He ended up winning four of his seven championships with Kirk Shelmerdine as his crew chief. So you have to one you have to say to yourself, yeah, is he really it, it, did, did Kirk Shelmerdine had to have something to do with that? It wasn't all Dale Earnhardt. Um hopefully they they make sure they get him in because uh he's 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 a freaking great crew chief. He was a, he was great at what he did and fundamentally you can't discount that. So There's that. And of course, Ralph Seagraves being a Winston guy, R.J. Reynolds being able to utilize um, Junior Johnson to get into the sport um, and Junior Johnson being able to convince Ralph to say, hey, let's sponsor it. And then from there, the modern era of NASCAR happened. And there's a lot of people that have been connected to Winston that have gotten in with the landmark award. So it's a good thing. Uh, For me, Mike Stefanik, I've been a guy. It's the NASCAR Hall of Fame. It's not the Cup Hall of Fame. And based on that, uh, you know, there's Mike Stefanik's been up there. You know, seven seven modified titles. You talk about two uh, what is now ARCA East Championships. He is tied with Richie Evans. As the most prolific NASCAR champion there is, uh, with nine championships, and so the the guy is one of the great Northeast drivers. Josh brought up the the fact that he got uh, used up by Steve Park. The memes that came from Mike Stefanik's face. More people know that 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 face of Mike Stefanik and memes than the fact that he was a freaking legend and he he won seven freaking modified titles and he won more races it's like i'm reading this right here it's like all-time modified record and championships wins polls top fives top tens and then won two k and whatever arca east championships and he Ran, he won the Rookie of the Year in the Truck Series, driving for Dale Phelan in the '66 uh, Ford, finishing second in his second career start, no less. Um, Mike Stefanik knew where his bread was buttered. He knew he belonged up here, and he's a he was he was great, and he's one of the greatest. You think about TC Ted Christopher. You think about other guys that were in the Modifieds. And that's who I grew up with, and Mike Stefanik was up there, and his cars always look clean and always look good, and they were always up front. And the fact that he's in there with Richie Evans, with Jerry Cook, and some of the other legendary uh, men that uh, drove in the Northeast uh, is is something that uh, – it's, it's, it's awesome that they're in. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I'm glad that – Uh, Mike Stefanik is in. It's unfortunate that he passed away and then they put him in after he passed away. They've done that with Raymond Parks and other people. But in the end, Jess do. Uh, He's in. It's good. And uh, it's a good uh, it's a positive thing. We could get into a separate discussion about what the Hall of Fame is and how they've decided on who gets in and what at and whatnot, but that's for a different show. We'll transition into some of the other news that has taken place. Uh the big thing is Bristol because of they, they say the main reason is COVID nineteen, which granted has validity, but I I'm of the of the feeling that they were trying to look at an opportunity to move the All-Star Race to a place where it would be a better race. So Bristol's going to hold the All-Star Race. They're going to have 30,000 fans. Josh, uh, we talked about it offline in terms of the July the fourth weekend, where Indy is going to have a doubleheader. Daytona is going to have not the Coke Zero 400. They're going to have an IMSA race. They're going to have fans close to you. Um, but Bristol for the all-star race is also going to have fans. They're going to have 30,000 fans for the all-star race. Um, uh, What are your, when you heard that in terms of Bristol getting the all-star race and some of the things that came up with that, what were your thoughts on that? Um,
1: Yeah. So for Bristol, they have the all-star race. I think, um, you know, like you said, uh, they say it's for, um, because of the increase in COVID-19 cases, but I really, I think it's just um, they're trying to take advantage of the opportunity to move the venue because it's been pretty clear that to everybody in the sport that uh, the all-star race at Charlotte has been pretty stagnant. And it's pretty obvious because it seems like every year or every other year, they've changed the format of the race for the all-star race. Um, and it hasn't worked. It, there hasn't been a memorable all-star race in quite a long time uh i think you know it's it's a opportunity for them to try a new venue and i think bristol's going to be the best place because it's pretty clear that the uh, gen 6 car whatever format it's in whether it's a high downforce car or even a low downforce car or whatever it has uh performed better on the short tracks and so i think um, Bristol will give the opportunity to have a more entertaining all-star race going forward, or at least for this year. Uh, one thing that I'd like to see is maybe next year or the following year, um, they can bring like if they decide to rotate uh, the tracks for the all-star race, we'd like to see them p- potentially debut the, uh, the next-gen car. We've seen in the past where the, uh, they've used the all-star race as kind of a, a test race to roll out the rules package for the next year or for later in the year. We've seen it in 2018. They used uh, the current uh, rules package that they have now with the high downforce, low ho- horsepower um, rules. They tried that in the 2018 all-star race and decided to uh, go ahead and implement that for 2019 and, and to the present. And we, so I think that for next year, maybe they can debut the uh, next gen car if the teams would like it, because I I think they they need to do it because it would be a good opportunity to actually see that that car in action and uh, with the race r- rather than during a um, a test port uh, period. Um, it's I think it's better to see it in race condition and. See how it actually performs, you know. Something that would be the closest thing to an actual race, as the Ulster race is just an exhibition race. So, going forward, maybe they'll think about doing that. I don't know. It's uh, tough to say what they'll do, but I think going, you know, this year at Bristol should rejuvenate the Ulster race and maybe give uh, give more. Energy that it's kind of lost in maybe the last decade or so.
0: Yeah, I mean it's I I I agree with what you're talking about. I mean the fact is COVID nineteen has messed with this schedule and has messed with a lot of things in our lives. And the fact that there's certain people, certain characters that want to act as though it's a farce or fall. It's a it's a it's some sort of you know, made up thing. Uh, It's not made up. It's real. Real lives have been lost and more lives have been lost than in wars and uh, other major events that have happened in our country. And it's a serious thing and it isn't going away and it isn't going away anytime soon. So the fact that COVID-19, of course, now we're, we're still in it in the first wave and Charlotte is being affected because of a a increase in cases is in the one hand it's bad it's sad for the people that are affected whether whatever reason they are uh, whether it's ignorance whether it's just bad luck whatever it may be um but in terms of racing uh they they knew that the all-star race has not been as josh said has not been great for a while um the notion of the all-star race and it being one hot night and things like that the great events the great uh, the video the 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 highlight reels you show of the all-star race go back to the early 90s um you go back to uh when Davey got sent by Kyle Petty and destroyed their best race car because Larry McReynolds thought using their best race car in an all-star race was a good idea um you look at, uh, you know, D- Daryl Walter blowing an engine because they had a big engine and s- pushing the clutch in and all that, and in the first, uh, first what was called a Winston, the 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 pass in the grass, which wasn't a pass, and he just drove in the grass and. Bill Elliott finally got fed up with Dale Earnhardt driving the way he did. And Dale Earnhardt stopped messing with him. Um, You know, like all those things happened a long, long time ago. After that, like, can you really come up with anything that was amazing during an all-star race? Really? There really has not been uh, amazing events or things that have happened. Sure, people talk about T-Rex. Sure, people talk about... Mark Martin ran, driving past Jeff Jeffy when he ran out of gas. I think in ninety eight or ninety nine or whatever it was. It was ninety eight, yeah. Um you look at Tony finishing second as a rookie to Terry Labonte, who won his second all star race that night in nineteen ninety nine. Uh
1: junior winning in 2000
0: junior winning in 2000 as a rookie was was probably one of the the only bright spots that's taken place in a while um, and even that is, I mean, that's good. I mean, no neck went and won as a rookie in Oh two. Um, but it's been a long time where the all-star race has actually been a thing. It has been really good. That's why they keep on changing it. That's why they keep on doing different arrow packages. So, or all these different nonsense things that they do. Um, COVID-19 has probably given SMI an opportunity to figure out a way to make the all-star race viable again they don't want to run it on the roval uh they want to utilize the roval as their playoff chase thing um because charlotte motor speedway is a shithole um as a racetrack same way as texas motor speedway and kentucky is and most of the tracks that they run they've ruined bristol too but what they had a few weeks ago a couple weeks ago was a really good race So timing and all kinds of things, it's kind of played in their favor and NASCAR being more proactive and trying to play both sides of certain issues. They're trying to make an all-star race more palatable um, for the fans. And while it's going to stretch the teams a little thin in some ways, taking them Bristol, having a short track car, I think it's a net positive for this sport uh, and for the all-star race, which has definitely taken a lot of hits. Now, Another thing that uh, will be uh, going on during the all-star race is the movement of the number placement. Uh, the number for many years has been placed right smack dab, right on the door, right in the middle. Uh, there, the the, the um, rule or whatever they're going to be doing NASCAR wants is to have the sponsorship more prominent across the door, and they're going to move the number to in front of the rear wheel, not behind the rear wheel, which was done by Harrison Burton in the K and N series and some other people, and ASA did it before they dropped dead, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, what were your thoughts, Josh, or what are you thinking of that change? And I, I'd also extend it to what do you think they're going to do? Do you think like the the choose cone? is going to be a part of this all-star race. Are they going to alter any other things? Cause it looks like they're going to keep the foundations of what they've had the last few years, where they're going to have, it looks like four drivers advance out of the open. And then you have the people that they have in the all-star race, which will mean a 19 car field uh, here in about a month's time at the all-star race.
1: Well, first off, you know, with the number change, uh, you know, the number, the big number on the side of the car or, you know, in the middle of the car or the side is how it's been ever since, I don't know, probably the, at least the beginning of the 60s, at least, you know, and even uh, beyond or before that, you know, the, 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 number was always on the door in the middle of the door of uh, the car and that's kind of you know the number has always been kind of tied to the driver's identity you know and you know you associate the number 43 with Richard Petty and the uh, number three with Dale Earnhardt 24 with Jeff Gordon and so on and it gives you know the big number on the side it helps you kind of identify the driver and there's always been you know, paint schemes that they've had in you know, the last 20 years that have been designed around the numbers. And with even with just moving it to uh, in front of the rear tire uh, and maybe making it smaller or on the rear quarter panel, like with what Harrison Burton did, uh, I think it's more of wanting to have the sponsor be the identity of the car. We see the uh, sponsor, you know, they want to feature their logo or their brand, you know, make, it, make that the, the prominent um, piece, on, I guess, on the design of the car and design the paint schemes around the, the logo. And granted, there are some logos or some paint schemes um, in that format that have, you know, and when you look at the ASA or uh, the K&N series, there, there are some good examples. But, you know, once again, it's kind of moving on from kind of what's been the tradition for NASCAR and really for stock car racing in general but you know there's been other series like we said with asa canaan and even even other like non-stock car series that you know they've they don't have the number prominently featured on the side of the car but it's going to take if they go forward with it and they move beyond the all-star race it's probably you know it's going to take a lot of getting used to um but We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, it's just a one-off. I I don't really agree with it fully. Um, but as for the All Stars itself, you know, with the format changes and everything, um, hopefully, maybe they'll do the choose cone rule and experiment with that. You know, we've seen a lot of the drivers on pit road try to manipulate where they're going to line up by almost coming to a stop or slowing down. Uh, you know, very rapidly to make sure that they're in the position that would grant them the lane that they want to be. You know, a lot of times they'll, you know, slow down and make sure that they finish or, or they come off the pit road in and, and fourth instead of third so that they can get the outside line because they know that the outside line is the best uh, position to be on on a restart, you know, and and they can maintain their position, you know, because if they start in third on the inside, they opportunity to lose a, a lot of spots and, so hopefully they uh, put in the choose-cone rule, and I would welcome that as a change to the series in general. And I don't know if they're going to do any changes to see, uh, beyond that. We'll see. But you know, maybe I, – I saw on Twitter Clinton Boyer said that he would, he would do, like, four stages each 50 laps, which I think is a little too short for Bristol because when you think about it, uh, around 20 laps is about five minutes for a you know, um, time period in Bristol. So – I feel like maybe that's too short, but I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I mean, they haven't figured out what they're going to do in terms of how many laps. I think that's going to play a role. You're talking about a Wednesday night uh, race, so middle of the week. Considering the stuff going on with baseball, it looks like that um, it'll be an open date. I don't know. In terms of basketball, they might be playing. So they might be competing with basketball um, and hockey as well. Uh, you're, so you have to kind of take all those different things into account. But the, the amount of time it takes to get through amount of laps and stuff like that could be in play. I would figure that would be like an Xfinity 250 lap uh, race during the, the All-Star portion. And I would venture to say that, you know, I think they'd probably do 100, 150 maybe in terms of, so then they'd have like a 400 lap total, you know, between the four, the the two races itself. Uh, And you, and you increase the number of laps or or you go and you start with the lowest number of laps and you go like from 15 to 20 to 25 or something. Like, whatever, I don't know. Like, that that's something we're going to find out. It makes the Open more interesting. It makes the fan vote a little bit more interesting as well uh, in that the non-winners that are in the uh, Open, there are more drivers that could actually compete in the all-star race and actually do something. Uh you look at you look at people that aren't given a lot of media attention. You look at John Hunter Nemechek. you look at Bubble uh, or 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 Michael McDowell's teammate, you look at Corey LaJoy uh, or Bubba Wallace, um Chris Bell is a guy that's gotten a lot of PR but not as much in a cup car. There's there are guys that those are a few. I mean, Byron, there, there's a few people uh, that this short track race relative to being in Charlotte, even though last year, last couple of uh, opens, the open is usually much more competitive and much more interesting than the actual race. So uh, the location change hopefully makes both races interesting. Um, it also opens up opportunities, whether it's for the fan vote or not. To go and have the best field of what will be 19 drivers going into the All Star race. Uh, There is also other rumors going on. Um, I mean, I don't think there's been a lot, uh, there hasn't been anything confirmed. Been reading about a possible swap of the Texas and Las Vegas races within uh, the uh, playoff. Which honestly, excuse me, would probably be a good thing for the playoff, having Las Vegas stand out, better racetrack, better for the 550 rules package. Um, based on recent races, um, it probably and in better, better, better location relative uh, versus Texas, which has never been a good racetrack um Road America's also been out there Adam Stern with whatever sports business has been talking about Road America might be in play for a cup date. Uh that would be something. Um and then there's also been rumors about uh standalones being removed uh for the rest of 2020 which would mean xfinity and trucks wouldn't have any more standalone races which would eliminate the majority of the road course races uh that are on the schedule for both xfinity and the truck series you already eliminated iowa um from the schedule so that's the uh, races that are standalone so um Uh, Have you seen any of that, Josh, on on your feed or any thoughts you had based on those stories or rumors? Well,
1: uh, you know, I don't, for Texas, Las Vegas swap, um, to me, I don't know, I don't really care about that much. I mean, yeah, it'll be a better race for um, Las Vegas versus Texas, but I don't, you know, it doesn't mean much to me. Um, But the one change that I would like to see, I I haven't seen it, around but i mean you mentioned it so it probably wasn't around i just didn't see it It as the road america being on the cup series uh i would welcome that change is we we need a actual road course um added to the schedule not just the roval which is a fake road course yeah uh and I, i would welcome it you know it's it's not a um technical or finesse uh track like Sonoma is, it's kind of more in the same uh, vein as the Watkins Glen, but I, I would welcome the Cup Series coming to Road America, and I would, you know, that would definitely be one of the better, automatically, like, before they even race there, I'd say that would be one of the better races on the Cup schedule, and, you know, I we talked about sim racing in the past, and I used to play um, on NRO3, they had a couple of the Road America custom tracks, and I had one of those and used to play the Cup Series at uh, Road America on there and definitely had a lot of fun racing on that. So, I, you know, it'd be a little nostalgic in that department and would definitely like that. But unfortunately, you know, if uh, the pandemic causes uh, some of the standalone races for expanding trucks, I, it's just going to be a result of the pandemic. Just, a, you know, an unfortunate circumstance Um, but hopefully they can figure out a way to maybe keep some of those races around but I mean I understand if they have to do it um, because I would think that potentially maybe NASCAR is trying to keep a low overhead on their staff you know because they've got to do medical checks and things like that to and they've got to manage the racetracks and Maybe if they can keep all the series together um, on one track wherever they can, then it maybe keeps you know it it doesn't spread NASCAR too thin um, in the um, pandemic that we're in right now.
0: Yeah, the, that's a good point in terms of COVID. It's the, I I think that's what their play is because they're trying to play both sides on a lot of different deals. The fact that they, whether it's because of HIPAA or whatever, they haven't disclosed anything, or nobody's actually tested positive for uh, COVID. Uh, you know, you look at PGA Tour had their first event, uh, the uh, uh, whatever the um, Charles Schwab Challenge, and nobody, whether it was players or caddies or whatever, tested positive for COVID through that there's a thing two players and a caddy or two two caddies and a player tested positive at the the Corn Ferry tour, which is the triple A, which is like our which is like the Xfinity series, whatever. You know, however you want to go, Triple A. Um and then you see that in terms of other sports leagues. I mean there's been uh, announcements like Ezekiel Elliott for the Dallas Cowboys Uh, got COVID. Um, There's other players between the Cowboys and the Houston Texans that have COVID-19 or got tested positive for COVID-19, which as we go along here with the grip strip podcast, we'll be um, spending some time, more time talking about football because we did a while back talking about the draft um, when we, when the origination of the show uh, took place. So, um, COVID's uh, positive test with that is going to play a role in a lot of things it's played a role in where the all-star race is, is. Um, whether that was the main thing they could say that's the main thing but I honestly believe that wasn't the only um, consideration considerations fact that Charlotte's a shitty racetrack um, you look at um, you know with, with COVID and you look at the things that are going on um it's it's something that when you have to eliminate races and some of these racetracks that are probably not in as good of shape it's a bad thing but when you have the likes of road america that's going to have an indie car race and they're going to have fans Uh, they had the runoffs with the FCCA here a few days ago and they were able to have fans it's it's There are certain places within the country that are in a place where they're able to do it. And there's other places that, based on who's in charge, have done a poor job. Um, The fact of the matter is, we're not in a place right now where I think 2020, in a lot of ways, is kind of a throwaway when it comes to fan attendance and when it comes to the schedule as we know it. Uh, 2021 is an opportunity to kind of remake The schedule and hopefully NASCAR and the Daytona Beach Mafia figure out a way to make a schedule that makes more sense. That's more condensed and has been more beneficial to the people that work on the vehicles and spend less time, which means you could condense, do more races in a shorter period of time and make the series more viable in a sense since they haven't been viable for a while um we'll go from there in terms of viability a track that a few months ago looked like there was on the end it was uh on its last legs homestead miami speedway went from being the finale as it has been since 2003 so 17 18 years to now being buried early in the schedule Uh, covid went and made them reschedule they had two xfinity races this weekend they had one cup race and they had a truck race uh denny hamlin wins his 40th career uh, cup race and third at homestead tying tony stewart for most wins at homestead uh, Je- uh harrison burton and chase briscoe win the two xfinity races kyle bush wins his 58th career truck series event at homestead uh First, we'll go on to the Dixie Vodka 400. Denny Hamlin dominated, won both stages, 137 laps led, uh, third win of the year, um, which and also third win at Homestead. Uh, maximum points haul. He got the he got 60 points and he had seven playoff points, which is the absolute maximum that you can get based on the current rules and points situation. Chris Gabe Hart returned from his 4 race suspension after uh, the loose lead at the Coca-Cola 600. Um, the question I have for you, Josh, is after 15 years in the Cup Series for Denny Hamlin, is Denny Hamlin the favorite for the 2020 Cup Series championship?
1: Well, uh, based on just the wins alone, um, yes, but I look at the rest of the performances that he's had so far this year and yes he should be one of the favorites but i wouldn't put him as the the singular guy that he could win the championship um he's definitely a final four i'll give him that um but the thing is is uh he hasn't been quite as consistent as harvick with laps led and top tens and, and top fives and harvick scored 33 uh more stage points than hamlin but then again Hamlin has the most wins and he's a good short track driver we know he did well at Bristol he's always been good at Martinsville and even um I mean even Phoenix I give him that uh and we know that he's also pretty good at Darlington and the reason why I bring up all those tracks is because those tracks are in the chase and Richmond as well he's been uh successful there and those tracks play into his favor uh, in the playoffs, and so I think going into uh, those races, I would expect him to um, either you know score a, a top five or or a win, um, whichever happens, and I, that would put him in the position to be in the championship. I would I would think so. I would I would um, consider him maybe. I'm not ready to say that he's the favorite um, to win the championship. Um, you know, he won a restrictor plate race. And then he kind of won by default at Darlington yeah. with the rain delay. And then this was really the first race um, where he basically put a whole race together. He put a you know, a, a perfect race together. That's um, basically how you can say because, you know, he led the most laps, won in both stage uh, both stages, and then won the race. That's just about as perfect a race that you can have. Uh, you know, the only other way that it would be perfect is if he led wire to wire, which isn't really possible. It's impossible, yeah. Yeah. So, um, if he can, you know, perform like he did on, on Sunday and start leading more and being, uh, one of the top stage finishers, you know, if he can start accumulating more stage points, then I could say that he's, uh, more, you know, more of the, the favorite, so, but I would definitely consider him, uh, in the top, you know, the, the top championship four, as they call it, um, going forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, all great points. Uh, definitely, uh, he right now um he's had chances. He had chance. He had a big chance last year. Him and Gabe Hart gave gave their opportunity away, and it was uh, the 19 car did the same thing. Uh, both of those cars were way better than Kyle Busch, um, but neither of them came home with the hardware. So. Kyle Busch is a two-time Cup Series champion. Uh, Denny Hamlin wins. Uh, Chase Elliott finishes second. Ryan Blaney third. Tyler Reddick fourth, his best career finish. Eric Almirola gets a fifth-place finish, his best finish in a long time. He's struggled this year. Uh, has been a brutal start to the year for Eric Almirola and Mike Bogoravich. Kyle Busch gets a sixth-place finish after a nondescript race generally. Austin Dillon on the uh, heels of uh, his uh, firstborn son, Ace, uh, coming into the world earlier in the day. Um, Whitney looking like a woman for once. Um, They went and uh, had their first child, and uh, he flew down to Homestead and got a top-ten finish. Christopher Bell gets his best career Cup Series finish in eighth. William Byron ninth. And Brad Keselowski keeps his top ten streak alive, seven straight top tens, um, with a tenth place finish, uh, but wasn't as much of a factor. I the thing that we could take from I, I we could get into the um, the whole Chase and uh, Joey Logano. Uh, deal. I know we talked about that last night on uh, Talking in Circles, if you want to listen to that. I'm not as interested in that. I think that that's kind of a non-story, um, mainly because of the rules package that we have. Um, Joey Logano was trying to stay within one lap down, and he's try- if you do that, you at least have a chance to wave around or get the lucky dog. The fact he blocked Chase Elliott they say that might have cost them a chance to win at the end of the day. Hamlin had the best car based on this rules package. But to me, um, there are two things that played a role. Uh, the lightning delays based on how they scheduled a race and the time they scheduled a race, I think was a was a factor. I know we mentioned this. Um the This rules package, I think, does better in hotter conditions where it's looser, where you're able to kind of run multiple grooves and actually be able to make runs and pass. Um, based on the race we saw on Sunday and running in the dark, you aren't able to make as good of a run or able as complete passes. And Tyler Reddick was the best proof of that. Early in the day when they started the race, Tyler Reddick drove from 24th and basically ended up at fifth within a few laps without any, without any issue. The media, the, the TV talked about Tyler Reddick the whole entire weekend. They sold Tyler Reddick better than I think Tyler Reddick's ever been sold in his whole entire life. And fact of the matter is he came through. Uh, he, he looked the part of an elite talent of a guy that is a next big thing and fundamentally he was in the top five virtually the entire race and he was up there with hamlin he made hamlin sweat he made Elliott sweat he made ryan blaney sweat who were all the only three guys that finished ahead of him um, personally i believe if they had more horsepower and they had less arrow tyler Reddick would have ran away with this race so um uh, to you josh in terms of having the race basically take take place at night because of the scheduling and how NASCAR does things and playing into the Florida summers of lightning storm, of thunderstorms and stuff like that, did, did this race have the look that it did because of it being in the night or should, would we have seen it this way? And then your takeaways on Tyler Reddick going, getting his best career finish in the cup series
1: yeah i think weather definitely paid uh, a factor played a factor into it um you know usually with nighttime racing we see you know more grip in the track and you know the cars handle generally and then the downside of that you know is the racing falls off in quality and we see a, a lot more of aero push and things like that um, you know especially with the high downforce low horsepower cup package that uh we've been dealt with but you know what the the thing you know is with this is like the Xfinity series uh they had a good race in the daytime and I think it would have been a little bit similar not quite as similar um if they had been able to race in the daytime with the cup series uh and I don't know but it, it, it's uh it's debatable, I guess, because we could have seen the same thing in the Cup series with the way this package is in the daytime, but who knows uh, you know homestead even with um, the problems with the package that we've talked about on this podcast uh, the you know homestead was still the best opportunity to have uh, good racing and we saw you know flashes of that um, especially towards the end and and parts of the stages we you know with Hamlin, uh, battling, uh, Chase Elliott, and then, uh, Ryan Blaney also, <clears throat> excuse me, um, battling Hamlin in, I think, you know, one of the stages, where there's stage one or two. Um, so, I think, you know, the weather played a factor, but it may have not mattered anyways. Um, but as for Tyler Reddick, uh, I think clearly he's the best driver in the series. Um, you know, he has the potential, and we've seen that talent, um, you know, from last year in the expanded series and the previous year uh, where he's the back-to-back champion. And so he's definitely got the talent and just a matter of if RCR can propel him to the front. And I think RCR, you know, they have seemed to improve overall as a team. And I think if they can give him a car like what he had on Sunday and, you know, they can keep the um, consistency and, um, you know, with... You know, they they don't fall back in the middle of the race. I think they they could find themselves in that um, 12 to 16 range um, in the standings once the playoffs start.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, you just brought up something in terms of where Tyler Reddick is. He's 17th in points. Uh, You look at uh, whatever uh, uh, Austin Dillon's on the cutoff. He's in 16th. Uh, And he's two points out of Tyler Reddick. Tyler Reddick had a tire blowout at Phoenix before we went into COVID. He was running in the top five. He'd probably be in the top 16 right now. No problem. Uh, Eric Almirola right now uh, is 13th in points. He gets a top five finish. That was probably the best finish he's had all year. Um, I mean, it's it's something to say about Reddick getting a top five finish uh, in an RCR car. It's the best look RCR has had since Harvick was there, and in terms of RC, since he's named after um, his the grandson, he great grandson he has now, um, Ace RC Dillon. The fact is he has a driver that he could build around and get to the next generation and make RC, RCR a factor again. Um, And that's something that we haven't seen in a long time, which is good when you consider the sport, we need to have other teams compete other than the Gibbs, uh, Stuart Haas, Penske, and Hendrick. You need to have other teams in that. You need to have like uh, Ganassi's of the world. You need to have RCR. You need to have Roush Fenway, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Denny Hamlin gets that win, and he's based on, in terms of playoff points, earned based on wins, he would be the points leader, but Kevin Harvick is the points leader uh, overall. Uh, He would be eligible for those extra points uh, at the end of the regular season. He has an eight-point lead on Chase Elliott. Joey Logano, after a really brutal uh, day on Sunday, is third. And Brad Keselowski is a big gap between him and Brad Keselowski from third and fourth. Uh, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex are all separated by a couple of points. Danny Hamlin, seventh. Alex Bowman, eighth. Kyle Busch, ninth. And Kurt Busch, tenth. Um, Of course, 16 drivers make the uh, playoff in the Cup Series, which is probably way too much. Uh, Dylan on the bump spot, 10 points behind William Byron, two points out of his teammate uh, Tyler Reddick, and eight points ahead of Eric Jones. So as it stands right now... There's really 18 for 16. I would venture to say there's probably about maybe three or four other guys that might make a play um, towards the playoff. And of course, with Talladega coming up here uh, this weekend, we could kind of flip the uh, point situation on Slid. Going into the Xfinity race, races that took place on uh, this weekend at Homestead, this past weekend, uh, we could go into one thing that I believe is key. They made a big deal about this last year with the big three. They talked about Chris Spell. They talked about Cole Custer and Tyler Reddick, who ended up winning the championship. I believe this weekend was an uh, emphasized that there is a big three uh, in this series. I think the two people that ended up winning, which were Harrison Burton, Chase Briscoe, along with the guy that dominated both races, Noah Gregson, uh, are the big three for this season. Um, you yeah. know what were what were your takeaways, Josh, of the two races and the the possibility of us having a new big three uh, here in the Xfinity Series?
1: Yeah, I mean this this race, like really uh, the the two Xfinity races this weekend is really the Noah Gregson show uh you know he dominated both races and he was clearly had the best car in the long run uh, you know once once they got about maybe like 10 laps or so into the you know into the period and then you know he's just able like what I was really impressed is he was just able to uh, drive down you know deep into the corner it seemed like you know, he, he could drive like 10 miles an hour faster going into the corners versus other guys. And there's just a testament just to how good of a car he had on the long run that just handled so well and, and everything. But at the same time, uh, he didn't have the speed on the on the restarts. Um, but, you know, I think it's clear that there is a, a big three. And, yeah, it's Gregson. Obviously, he he has the speed, um, a lot of JRM. Uh, um, backing there or Hendrick really um, that has the resources and ability to give him the best cars and you know he so we'll see him um continue to put on performances like he did on on Sunday hopefully um then Harrison Burton seems to kind of be like his dad just a consistent driver overall and you know he's had the the top 10 streak uh that's um I, I think he either tied or broke the weather. The record for uh, Carl Edwards, uh, who had the the streak, and now top ten, uh, yeah, yeah, and now he's broken that record, and so which is a good thing, and shows just how how good of a driver he is. So, um, you know, I think he'll he'll be someone to watch going forward. And then I think Chase Briscoe is the favorite; he's the most talented, and you know, we we saw how he performed just on this weekend alone. You know, he made up. Uh, six laps, and of course he uh, he had help with the, the lucky dogs and and uh, the stage cautions. But the fact that he was you know able to the team was able to take advantage of that, and then they used um, strategy to basically like pass all the um, other cars and actually make up a a lap. Uh, under green condition, I think that's a testament to his uh, driving ability and you know if it would have been crazy if he had actually won that race on Saturday would have um rivaled bill it's comeback that he had in nineteen eighty seven uh, at Talladega when he made up two laps under green um, or even uh, Jimmy Johnson two thousand nine Pocono when he made up four laps well that would have been similar to that actually but you know um on Sunday, then he was able to actually win the race and took advantage of the the uh, short run. You know, he hit the wall with like five or six laps to go and kind of lost uh, distance to Chase or to um, Noah Gregson. But then the caution came out for uh, Sindrick, I think it was, and then uh, he was able to go out and win the race on the restart, which was uh, pretty impressive. And and you know, he's already won at Darlington too and at, at Las Vegas. So I think. Um, If I were to say the big three, I think in order would be Chase Briscoe and then Noah Gregson, then Harrison Burton.
0: Yeah, I mean, Noah Gregson, for his obvious character defects that he has, uh, he has proven this year in his second year in the Xfinity series to be a lot better driver. Uh, Dave Ellins has been a kind of a... Um, soothsayer or whatever you want to call him been able to to go and mold young drivers and get them in a position to win and last year they were nowhere and this year they have definitely taken a step forward and it's a positive thing because junior motorsports and that team has been used to winning championships and when you also look at Justin Allgaier and the kind of mistakes he makes looking like wannabe Elliott Sadler. That's basically what he has become. They need to have somebody that can compete for this championship. And Greg Sin, who doesn't have a deal for 2021 is racing for his career. And so he's trying to race for a cup ride. He's trying to race for everything. So he, he showed himself at Homestead at one of his best racetracks a track he loves to be very good. Um, chase Briscoe on Saturday, uh, they dropped weight, um, on the, out of the race car before the green flag Four race suspension for Richard Boswell and the car chief and the eng- lead engineer, uh, the car chief lead engineer were in a hotel, um, you know, conference room, uh, working with the alternate people, which includes, um, uh, great crew chief, legendary crew chief Greg Zipadelli, who is the director of competition for Stuart Haas Racing, and as of now is the crew chief, uh, the alternate crew chief for Chase Briscoe, um, which has to be something considering um, Chase Briscoe's hero is Tony Stewart. And he drives for Tony Stewart, and uh, Greg Zipidelli is one of the reasons why Tony Stewart's a NASCAR Hall of Famer and all that. There's a whole lot of symmetry going on there, so it's nice. Um, the the car that Chase had on Saturday was way better than the car he had on Sunday, but because of being able to actually race the race on Sunday, um, he was able to make a payoff, cautions late, definitely played a role, or else... Uh, uh, Gregson would add two more wins The fact that Harrison Burton came through And won that race on Saturday um, It shows the kind of potential he has With time and uh, the ability to figure things out Harrison Burton, he didn't The trucks didn't fit his driving style But the Xfinity car definitely does uh, he's, I mean, they kept on bringing up the comparison to his dad and he's a lot like his dad. He's going to just let the race come to him and he will come through in the third segment. He doesn't make a whole lot of things happen, um, during the, the, the playoff point or stage point parts of the race, unless he has a really good race car, but Hey. You do what you have to do, put yourself in position He's probably going to be in the X Twenty Series next year So it's not as big of a deal I don't think that um, unless cert- there might be a couple of moves That might happen where he might get moved up But I think uh, Harrison Burton has a future And he has a future with Joe Gibbs And uh, Toyota as well uh, We'll uh, briefly go uh, Kyle Busch wins his 58th uh, truck series race dominates basically austin hill uh led the first uh 27 laps and he's got a big points lead um what were your takeaways josh in terms of i i i'm not going to focus on kyle Busch because it's easy whatever every the trucks the, the people who announce the race focus on kyle bush and chase elliott I want to focus on the 16 regulars that are competing for 10 spots, and really it's nine spots because uh, Grant Enfinger has two wins. He's not only in, he's probably going to advance uh, into the next round um, as things stand very early in the season. What are you takeaways in terms of Austin Hill point accumulation, where he is um, relative to what he did last year, and then who else? Do you see um, very early as we go through this truck series that could go and make a move to be a favorite here in the truck series uh, season playoff?
1: Yeah, I think Austin Hill definitely, you know, he's um, right now he has the lead. He just hasn't been able to capitalize on getting a win. He's definitely got the car and has the speed to do it. He just um, hasn't had the luck really. You know, we saw that last week and you know, a little bit uh, this week at Homestead. But, you know, I think, you know, potentially maybe somebody like um, maybe Todd Gilliland, maybe somebody that would um, be a, a contender. I don't know. Um, maybe, I mean, Johnny Sauter, you know, he's uh, definitely had you know su- success in the past. And I feel like maybe he's been a little bit off this year. But, you know, you can always count on him to... Um, contend for uh, the Truck Series playoffs, but going maybe going forward, maybe um, potentially even like a guy like uh, Tyler Ankrum as well. You know, he's uh, showed a lot of potential, and you know last year he was able to get into the playoffs and and you know, he um, was the best of the uh, regulars um, on on sat- Saturday night. So maybe maybe somebody like him could um, be a dark horse contender for the truck series playoff, um, when, once that comes around.
0: Yeah. Tyler Ankrum definitely is somebody that stands out to, to me, uh, because he drove for DGR Crosley, won at Kentucky, uh, last July, got into the playoff as a rookie, won the rookie of the year. Now he's driving for GMS. GMS is fully invested in the truck series, uh, They've put themselves in a place where, uh, points-wise, you're trying to angle to get all their guys in. Now that there's on, there's 10 drivers that are going to make the Truck Series playoff, it's a lot more um, likely than what it was with eight. Um, you look at uh, the, that team, Brett Moffitt is their lead guy. Um, He's in the flagship truck. You have Sheldon Creed. You have, um, you have, uh, you have Tyler Ankrum, and you have, uh, what's the guy's name there in the, forgetting the other guy's name. Dan Rhodes. Not Ben Rhodes. He drives for um, for Thor Sport, uh, the 21. Um, oh. Uh, Zane Smith there. Yeah. yeah. So Zane Smith, uh, he had an accident with Brett Moffat early in the race. At Homestead, Zane Smith had a great run at Atlanta. He was a junior motorsports guy last year. Ran Arca for MDM. Uh, MDM ended up uh, running out of money. Mark McFarland uh, went. I forget where the hell he went uh, there. So Zay Smith is the guy. So all the guys at GMS, you look at, you look at the uh, Sheldon Creed and all that. You look at Grant Enfinger, who's the only driver that has um, a good amount of playoff points. Uh, with the two wins. You, know, you have to wonder about Christian Eckes. Christian Eckes right now is second in points. He got a eighth place finish. Good uh, accumulation of points uh, due to the stage points. Uh, finished eighth on Saturday. You have three-time Truck Series champion Matt Crafton. You have Ben Rhodes. Johnny Sauter who got uh, disqualified at Atlanta. So he lost a lot of points. So he's on the bump. You have all that, Raphael Lasard, Tanner Gray, Stuart Friesen, who got to the Final Four last year, um, the 45 truck, which is this year, uh, Ty Majewski, uh, last year with with uh, Ross Chastain made the Final Four. So there's a lot of people in play that um, Todd Gilland, as you brought up, Josh, uh, that are all in play which makes the truck series even though the bottom of the truck series is probably not all that great the top and the ability the the 16 for 10 theoretically to get into the truck series playoff is uh, quite intriguing uh we will we will end uh this uh gripster podcast with uh Talladega. There's going to be the Cup Series race on Sunday. Xfinity will be on Saturday. There will um, be an ARCA race as well. First ARCA race in a while, I think since Phoenix. So um, the announcements uh, by NASCAR, John Probst and some other guy, they're talking about additional padding and Uh, additional um, uh, posts uh, being added to the chassis to make it more structurally um, stronger after the uh, events of the end of the Daytona 500 where Ryan Newman got flipped on his lid and got nailed in the window by Corey LaJoy. Uh, They made uh, changes to the um spacer um, throttle body, it's not a real throttle body. It's a basically a four barrel carburetor on top of whatever an electronic fuel injection system. And they've adjusted the plate that will be on top of the uh, the, the spacer and throttle body itself, make it smaller, uh, lower speed, so that they can't have tandem drafting. I love that NASCAR has tried to figure out a way to get rid of tandem drafting when, frankly, there are bigger problems with the racing that they have at Talladega and Daytona. Um, you're, uh, Josh, I, I figure this is a multi-layered question. Your thoughts on the changes that they made safety-wise and trying to theoretically lower speed um, at Talladega and Daytona? Uh, with no practice of course and then um, I'd also throw to you for who do you look for in terms of an established driver and then one wild card for uh, Sunday's race Yes
1: yeah, so for the you know for the structural changes to the car I think those are good changes to to do you know it's important especially with you know the way that uh, Ryan Newman's car was hit in the end of the day Daytona 500. Um, I think, you know, they had to make it better improve it. Um, so there wouldn't be that type of impact again, or at least the, um, the car getting damaged, like how he did or how it happened to his car. Um, so I think that's a good thing. Uh, but I, I guess I can agree with the, the lower speeds. Uh, I, I think it was probably a good thing to do. You know, we've seen, uh with with uh especially with kinda like with this particular package where they um quote unquote removed the restrictor plate and are just now going to the so called tapered spacer and they you know increased the speeds that way while keeping the horsepower low. Uh I don't <clears throat> I don't know um how that'll affect the racing, but I guess they had to do it uh for the name of safety. But at the same time i will say that um i'm actually a fan of the tandems uh you know the the cars as as they've been since the implementation and introduction of the cot have naturally wanted the tandem and even before that when they repaved talladega back in 2006 um and to me um you know, they, we can have the safety changes with the um, the chassis and even lowering the speeds, but you know, the car is naturally one to tandem. And um, I, I don't know. I would like to see NASCAR stop getting in the way of that and they um, stop regulating that. And it seems like the more that they try to regulate the the plate racing, the more frustrating it is. Um, and you know if, if drivers drive too aggressively with the the tandems, then NASCAR should punish the driver, not the car um, but we'll see how that goes uh, I mean with no practice and all that it it's gonna be a lot of a different Talladega race and they're not gonna especially with the the rules changes that they're um, bringing forth for this race um, in response to how the Daytona 500 ended uh, it, it could. I don't know. It could be a wild card, but we'll see how that goes. As for my picks for the race, uh, I'm going to go with Danny Hamlin. He's clearly been the best restrictor plate driver the last couple of seasons. He's the three-time Daytona 500 champion now, and uh, he's definitely been good at Talladega uh, somebody else that I would look for is just team Penske in general inc- um, including to Benedetto as the Wood Brothers satellite team with Penske and Bad Keselowski has been excellent on the restrictor plate tracks he's probably been if he wasn't if it wasn't Danny Hamlin at the top of the restrictor plate tracks it's been Brad Keselowski uh you know he's been good at uh pretty much all the other races except for the Daytona 500 and Chase Elliott also could be a guy uh, to look out for on Sunday. And even Ryan Newman, you know, the last couple of restrictor plate races, you talk about the Daytona 500, he was in position to win that one. And last year's uh, Talladega race at the fall, in the playoffs, he was able to finish second. So if he's able, and I'll actually, I'll put him as my wild card. You know, if, um, I don't know how, how he'll do, if he'll be more, um, cautious this race because of what happened to him in the um, Daytona 500, but, you know, I, he's been... You know, if if you discount the actual wreck and you just look at where he was leading up to the finish, uh, he, you know, he should be a contender for uh, this race at Talladega on Sunday.
0: Yeah, you're... I mean, when it comes to Talladega, it's it's one of the crappiest races that exists. I mean, there, there are certain races that, to me defeat the purpose of them going and going through and the rules changes that they came up with where they're trying to lower speeds and they're putting slip tape on the bumpers so they can't have tandems like here's the thing the only time in the last 28 years that I've really thought that racing at Daytona and Talladega has been palatable and it's something like I talked about Clayton earlier he likes packs He didn't like tandems. Uh, You brought up you like tandems. I like tandems as well. Um, Fundamentally to me, I would rather trust my, if I was in behind the wheel, I would rather trust my fate with one person and the two of us are working together and we can talk to each other than having to drive in one pack and having the likes of Ricky Stenhouse losing his mind and wrecking three quarters of the field or some other person and wrecking three quarters of the field. You know, you look at Brad, you brought up the Penske guys, Brad Kozlowski, Joey Logano. You think about the Gibbs guys with, with Hamlin and, and uh, Bush. I mean, Eric Jones uh, had a wrecked race car during the Bush clash, and somehow or another, won the Bush Clash um, because half, three quarters of the field got wrecked. The point is the the, the 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 whole point of Daytona and Talladega races at this point is it's a demo derby for for 30 of the cars. If you're if you somehow or another figure out a way to make it through, you have to win, or you have to put yourself in a chance to win. And fundamentally, when I look at uh, the guys that could win or the guys that should win, Legato's had a bad um return since the the COVID. Um, they were on a good momentum, they had won two races, they were in a good place. Um, whether they were the best car or not, whatever. But ever since the return, the 22 car has not performed as well as the two or the 12, frankly, and so. I would expect Paul Wolf and the 22 team with Joey Logano, who has won a Talladega, to go and reassert themselves as a title favorite um, because that's a long-term uh, situation they have there between the 22 with both Driver and Crew Chief. Uh, in terms of a wild card uh, pick, I don't know what the odds are going to be. I haven't looked at them in a while. Um, but Brendan gone, um, if you really want to get crazy, you want to go and figure out a way to hit a good one. Um, why don't you go with Brendan gone? Uh, he has ECR equipment, um, ECR cars always run well or engines and everything run well, Talladega and Daytona Austin Dillon for what little talent he may have has the Daytona 500 win, uh, last October, uh, Brendan gone was a few inches away from taking the lead before he got sent into the fence and flipping on his lid. And he finished 7th in the Daytona 500 under the wreck race car. So, you know, if you really want to go and take a... It, it, at the end of the day, it's like the lottery. Um, Talladega and Daytona is like a lottery. And if you're going to go and do the lottery, you might as well have fun with it. And and Brendan Gaughan is as fun as you're going to get. He, he's a big fat you know he looks like us he looks like an average American um, minus the fact that he's a rich -er, MF'er with multiple business entities and the fact that he can um, inherit a lot of money because his dad's been very prolific himself but the guy can drive a race car so go and look at Brendan Gaughan you look at some of uh, one other person to look at is James Davison who's going to be in the seventy seven car, uh indie car driver part time for bird racing, usually shows up at Indianapolis. Um guy who's run sports cars, guy who's run V eight supercars, he's gonna be making his cup debut. That's a guy that, you know, the seventy seven car won the Coke Zero four hundred. Um that would be somebody that might be a really, really big stretch. Odds would be really high if they're running a full race with fresh tires, he might have a chance. So, um, we will see what happens. Um, before we get off here tonight, um, who, are your, uh, who do you think uh, stands out, Josh, for the Xfinity race on uh, Saturday? Well, I'll just
1: keep it uh, general to the, the teams because. You know, who knows what will happen, but I'll, I'd look for uh, JRM and Gibbs. Uh, I think they had the, the, the best cars back in Daytona, uh, the other race that we had in the Xfinity series. So I think I think those guys, any of the JRM or Gibbs cars, I think should be able to um, contend for the win and, and dominate throughout uh, the Xfinity race on Saturday.
0: Yeah, JRM is, I mean, Chevy usually dominates at uh, restrictor plate type races, so that fits right into the JRM mold. Um, nor Gregson, you have to look at, uh, you You look at Jeb Burton, who won a stage during Daytona. Um, uh, you, what do you call the Jeff Snell guy who's had a brutal Um, start to the season, but he's up there. He's going to make the playoff, uh, but it would be good for him to win a race In terms of JRM and you look at Michael Annette, his one Xfinity wins at Daytona. So, uh, their favorite, I would, I would stretch it out and I would go and say the two Fords, the two regular Fords, Chase Briscoe had the lead on the final restart at Daytona, um, got shuffled. You look at Austin Sindrick, uh, Penske, they're known for being good on uh, restrictor plate type races. So I would uh, look at both of those guys. Um, with that, we will um, end tonight's uh, Gripshirt podcast, a little longer show. Uh, thank you for uh, sticking with us. Um, we'll try to go and limit um, ourselves here uh uh, in future episodes um but um with that, uh Josh, you have anything going out?
1: uh n- no, not really. um looking forward to talladega as uh as usual, but yeah, I mean, just glad to be talking on about racing with you on this podcast
0: yeah, absolutely man. It's great that we're doing this deal. um It's nice to be able to have a little free form uh talk about how, re- how we really feel about different issues that are going on. Um, We haven't probably dug into stuff that we could really go and deep dive on, but we're early days here. Hopefully we have a long time to do it. We're both young guys. Uh, Obviously you're way younger than I am, but um, hopefully this thing takes off and we can go and spend more time doing that. Um, yeah, we'll go and talk about what happened at Talladega. We'll go and uh, talk about Formula One, uh, the middle. We'll talk about uh, Alpha Tori, formerly Toro Rosso, Renault, McLaren. And in terms of the Formula One preview, will talk about other series, sports cars, indie cars, if anything comes up. And we'll talk about NASCAR and uh, the race at Talladega uh, results as we lead into the next stage of their schedule, going to Pocono um, for a doubleheader uh, at Pocono for two cup races. I'll be the first doubleheader for the Cup Series in a long time, so that'll be something here on the Gripster Podcast. Thank you so much for listening uh, to us, and uh, take care.